0: Alright, a few announcements before we get started here. Uh, we'd love to be to hear from you and pray from you. If you're newish to Restore or newer or we don't have your contact info or there's something going on you just want someone praying for, be anonymous. Uh, you can fill out a connection card which are in the programs. You can put those in the box that's on the coffee table back there or you can do it via our app. If you download our app, you can search We Are Restore or We Are Restore eChurch on your Android device. You can fill out a connection card. Let us know what we can be praying for. If you'd like to support our church financially, you can give online at wearerestored.com or you can do that through the app as well. Uh, Right after service today, uh, we have an Easter egg hunt for the kids. So as soon as we get done, um, we're going to head out front and uh, there's um, like, I don't know, like 150,000 eggs hidden out there. So there's lots, it's somewhere between like 200 and 100,000, something like that. Uh, I don't know how many, but there's a lot of eggs out there, and we're going to have fun together and celebrate, because there's no better way to celebrate the resurrection than hunting for eggs filled with candy and toys, right? The kids are like, yes, don't, I know you're thinking, don't poo-poo the Easter egg hunt, I know that. And then, um, remember, if you're uh thinking about hosting a neighborhood collective, we have a video meeting tonight at 8.30 p.m. And if you're like, huh, what? Just see me afterwards. I'll get you the link to that, and that way you can join us. Uh, a few resources, uh, a few people that said some things, wrote some things that kind of got my mind turning, and I want to give them credit for that, is a guy named A.J. Swoboda. He's a pastor of a Pentecostal church on the West Coast. And then a Canadian pastor named Bruxy Cavey. Um, he, he he had some stuff to say that I really liked So I've been reading this book, Um, I took a a, a hiatus from seminary, Um, so now I'm reading books that I want to read, and (laughs) I'm taking uh, the next two months off, so I'm like, I bought all these books on Amazon, like eight books, that have nothing to do with God, or theology, or stuff like that, and it's just pure fun reading, and one of the books I bought was called The Man Who Caught the Storm, and it's about this legendary tornado chaser named Tim Samaras, And he became famous in the late 90s, early 2000s for his work in in tornado chasing. Um, Has anybody seen the movie Twister back in the 90s? All right. Um, I saw that movie in high school and I immediately knew I'm going to be a storm chaser. Like that's where my mind went. I made the mistake of making this public and telling my friends about it. And so now, even now, you ever have one of those friends that remembers every stupid thing you said or did? I've got one of those friends. So even now, when I get excited about something, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, like the time that you saw Twister and we're going to be a tornado chaser. He still brings that up 20 years later. Um, he, he loves to rub that in my face. So the whole premise of the movie, if you haven't seen it, is based on an actual scientific experiment that was tried in the 80s. So this group of scientists wanted to measure the inside of a tornado. And they invented this device. They called it Toto off of like Wizard of Oz. Toto, you know, tornado, that kind of thing. So they called it Toto. And their whole premise was they're going to drive around. It's this behemoth of a machine that takes like three or four people to unload. They're going to try to figure out where the Twister's going. And they're going to set it on the ground. And hopefully the Twister will run over it. And they'll be able to measure all this data. It didn't work. It failed miserably, millions of dollars down the drain. So they decided, you know what, let's write a movie script about it and pretend like it worked. So in Twister, it's called Dorothy. But so I didn't realize it was actually based on a, a true story. So Tim Samaras, years later, um, he develops, uh, he, he wants to also measure what's going on inside of a tornado. He wasn't a scientist. He had no college degree, but he fashioned a, a, a an object so aerody- aerodynamically perfect that it could sit within the funnel of a tornado at 200 plus mile an hour winds and it wouldn't budge it would just sit there and inside of this contraption that only took one person he could pick it up lift it and set it down instead of three or four people and it had all these these devices in it that would measure like wind speed and um, barometric pressure and all this data that you know these scientists want to learn about and he was like you know what I'm going to give it a try but one of the reasons Toto failed it's because knowing no one was willing to get close enough to the tornado to place Toto in the path. They could never get close enough because they didn't want to die. Well, Tim Samaras is like, I'll get closer. And he would, And she spent a couple years or two or three years getting closer and closer, trying to place the turtle. And finally worked up enough courage. Um, him and a guy he was riding with saw an F4 tornado. And they got within 200 yards of it. And stuff's flying all over the place. He places it. They, they book it and it works, and the tornado, an F4 tornado goes over the path of the turtle, and it was a moment, he, he became an instant legend in the scientific and like meteorological community. All this data, uh, an untouchable phenomenon, the inside of a tornado, they now had access to on what was going on in there, and so he became this celebrity, I, I think he ended up being on like the Discovery Channel, like they had a storm chaser show, he was one of the main characters on that show. He was the first person in history to measure all of the stuff on the inside of a tornado. And um, all this enor- enormous information at their fingertips now. It was like going from being in the dark scientifically to now being in the light. Like, whoa, we know all this stuff now. Because one man was smart enough and crazy enough to get close enough to measure this stuff. To inch closer and closer to death. And I feel like this is a metaphor for where faith takes us. Like, God invites us to get closer and closer to death so that new life can occur. And I'll be honest, many times this invitation is really crippling for me mentally and spiritually to to follow God into that thing. Like when I read verses like Matthew 16 verses 24 through 25 when Jesus told his disciples if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I read stuff like that, and I'm like, I I don't know how much closer I can get to dying to myself, to ignoring all of these broken instincts that I have in order to follow Christ closer and closer. I went on my first ever podcast two weeks ago. Um, An old friend of mine has a podcast and asked if he could interview me. And I'm like, that's going to be a really boring podcast. But yeah, I'm in. I'll do it. And it was a really interesting experience. But he, and one of the questions he asked me, uh, since I was a, uh, a Christian and a pastor, he asked if I'd ever questioned the existence of God. And I said, you know, not really until I became a pastor. Like, that's when it started getting really rough. Like, And I, I think the more uh, we're willing to follow Christ an inch closer and closer to dying to ourselves, the more we question these types of things. And then I, I was reading Mark 14 last week, which is when... It's the chapter where Jesus is arrested and then Peter denies him three times. Like, I don't know that guy out of fear of what's going to happen. And I read that and I'm like, only three times? That's not bad. I've done it a lot more than that. Like doubted Jesus or ignored, questioned my faith in him. But it's Easter Sunday. It's the day of hope. The day where light conquered darkness. Life conquered death through the resurrection of Christ. And here's one of the gospel accounts and I want to read. The human reaction to the resurrection in John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So this is just one of the recorded reactions in scripture uh, about the resurrection. I read that and it would be logical for us to assume, okay, once his followers saw that he had conquered death, I like spiritually, emotionally, physically, they must have felt invincible. Like the excitement, that everything they'd seen, like the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus raising people from the dead. This, those, this dominated all those. In my mind, I'm like, okay, nothing can stop us now. Like there is no holding us back. That's where I would go. At least that's where I think I would go if I was one of them. But that wasn't the case. Like after the resurrection and right before Jesus gave them the Great Commission, which is the calling he placed on their lives, it's written, uh, they write about the state, or it's, it's Matthew, is the author, writing about the state of mind of his disciples. So right before he, he sends them on their way, like go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right before he charges them with that, this is how Matthew describes the disciples' state of mind in chapter Matthew Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <laughs> it's what? He conquered death and you still doubt this guy? And it's important to note, these are not two separate categories of people. The Greek grammar shows us, the way it's, it's organized, it shows us that all these disciples were worshiping him, but there was a subcategory, as they were worshiping, they were still doubting what he was, who he was, what he was talking about. And that, I'm like, how? How could you still doubt this man? But that's part of following the resurrected Christ, some Part of following him is about dying. Part of following him is about doubt. And part of following him is about hope. And that he did conquer death. And he is who he said he is. He is the Messiah. So you think about Holy Weekend. As we come to an end, we've got about seven hours left in Holy Weekend. We had Good Friday, we have Saturday, and then we have Easter Sunday. Friday was filled with doom. There's Jesus in the garden uh, Luke describes him as so stressed out from knowing what's going to happen that he's sweating drops of blood, and he's asking God, "Like, take this cup of suffering from me." His arrest, his torture, and his death are imminent. I can't imagine the holistic nature of agony that he was experiencing in the garden at that moment. And then there is the heartbreak and the fear in his disciples as they see him arrested, tortured, and killed. Friday is filled with suffering, and then there is Saturday. Saturday is like the day of doubt, the day of what now? Like, what do we do? How do we go on? What just happened? It's the day of questions. We've, had, we've all had days where we can't understand what is happening in our life or in our circumstances. Days that just kind of seem like a blur because they're so confusing or so overwhelming. But there's also Sunday. And that's the day of surprise, the day of light, of life overcoming death, hope being restored, excitement. Not only regained, but surpassing all other excitement that they've experienced with Christ. Satan has lost. Death has lost its sting. And this power of like love and truth and restoration has been unleashed on the world. All of this happened in one weekend. All right. That's a busy weekend. That's a lot going on. These three days are the gospel. That's the good news. There is good news in the Friday of dying. There is good news in the Saturday of doubt and questions. And there is good news in the Sunday of hope and joy being restored, of of death being conquered. Um, There is a problem we might face, though. Um, You guys have probably heard or seen maybe some cheesy speaker give, like, the three-legged stool metaphor where they, like, put a stool on the stage and there's three legs, and he's like, what if I took one of these legs out and the whole thing would fall over? Well, it's kind of like that. That's the metaphor I'm going to use. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are each a leg and a stool, And a lot of times in our faith, we only believe in, like, one or two of them. Or we kind of, like, get stuck. We get stuck in the suffering and the doubt and the questions of Friday and Saturday. But we don't remember the hope and the restoration that occurs with Sunday. Or sometimes we just refuse to engage the suffering. Like, I I don't even want to think about it. All right, Or I I don't want to ask tough questions about God. I I just want to stay in my, like, happy place of Sunday. But the problem is we need all three in our faith. That is what God gives us on Holy Weekend. So do your best to exhibit some self-awareness here. All right, Friday. Are you resisting the suffering of Friday? Is there something in your life that needs to die, but you resist? And then Saturday, are you resisting asking hard questions? Do you ignore your doubt because you're afraid of the unknown or where God might lead you? And I'm going to be realistic here. We're on the East Coast everybody here's got doubt down like cynicism doubt questions everybody here's done that we're like we live in the east coast this is no problem we got saturday locked in so maybe that's not you sunday do you resist the miraculous is your faith dead like in a rut when you just kind of like shrug your shoulders like ah, there's nothing i can do about it i'm just stuck i'm here maybe the resurrection is just too absurd for you to believe i don't know but show like we need to exhibit self awareness of What part of the gospel am I not embracing? Am I not embracing suffering? Am I not embracing questions and doubt? Am I not embracing the hope of the resurrection, that miracles do happen? What part of Holy Weekend needs to awaken for you? So in closing today, I want you to think about which one you need to embrace. I I know which one I need to embrace, uh, but I want you to pause uh, and I want to spend, as I clo- we close in prayer, I'm going to spend about a, a 45 seconds to a minute or so just in silence. Um, and I want you to think with your eyes closed, which one is it that you think God might be leading you to embrace more of? Is it the Friday, the Saturday, or the Sunday? And then I'm going to close with in prayer, and then we'll sing one more song together to celebrate Easter. So let's, let's bow our heads.